to Commercial Real Estate Eyes Wide Open podcast. This weekly podcast is led by me, Anne Hambly, and I've uh, been in the business 35 years. And what we try to do is cover some topics that hopefully you're all kind of thinking about or toying with uh, in this ever-changing industry. So I'm super happy today to have someone I've worked with and known, I think, for, I don't know, a long, long time in the industry, Tom Melody. And Tom, I'll give you a second here in a minute to introduce yourself. Tom has been in the origination side of commercial real estate as long as I can recall. And also we have Jonathan Payne. And Jonathan, I'll let you introduce um, your piece of the business with Walker Dunlop as a uh, next step. So Tom, John, you want to introduce yourselves sure. and uh, give a little bit more about your firm? Okay, yeah. Uh, Tom Melody with Walker Dunlop. Um, Walker Dunlop is a public company and focused on raising capital for uh, owners of real estate and buyers of real estate. Uh, we, we raise equity, we, we raise debt, we do construction financing, you know, we do floating rate, fixed rate. Um, we, as a company, are involved in investment sales, uh, multifamily. We do all product types, however, uh, on the debt side. And as uh, you mentioned, I've, I've been working with you, Ann, for probably 15, 20 years. And uh, we've uh, had a nice relationship over that time. Uh, we've got a, uh, a, a partnership here in Houston, and Jonathan Payne has been one of my partners for about eight years and is focused more on the equity side. I'll let Jonathan introduce himself. Sure. Uh, I'm Jonathan Payne. Uh, I've been in the intermediary space uh, for the last eight years as a partner with uh, Tom and the team here in Houston. Uh, my focus within the real estate capital markets business is primarily in the uh, equity and structured finance business. So if you think about the capital stack sort of from the, the top down instead of from the bottom up, um, it means that we get involved a lot in terms of the front end on development projects as well as acquisitions um, and usually work to facilitate the interplay between the, the senior mortgage and the remainder of the capital stack. Great. Well, thanks. This will be a really good combination to have you both here because sometimes in today's environment, it takes both, obviously, and creative structuring to sometimes address the needs. Um, so I remember in 2008 and the downturn of 2008, that lending shortly thereafter became much more you know, conservative as a whole. Are you seeing any, what are you seeing kind of as the post-COVID um, origination lending requirement platform? Has it changed at all due to COVID? And if so, you know, in what way? Yeah, I think it depends on, you know, capital is, you know, first of all, very available um, in the market still and has been uh, throughout, you know, ex well, the first, you know, six months of COVID, I was trying to figure out what's going on. So, but I'm going to talk about, you know, really now kind of where we are in the process. Um, obviously, it depends on what part of the capital stack you're focused on. But if you take a look at, you know, uh, the life insurance companies are very active. They're as active as they've been ever. CNBS is, again, very active. Uh, the debt funds, we did more debt fund business last year than anything else, which is unusual. Um, uh, a lot of that's floating rate debt, which we can talk about how that's going to be affected with uh, uh, SOFR, uh, you know, futures being where they are. Uh, we'll continue also to do a lot of bank business. So uh, lots of money. I think, I think the underwriting is, um, I think it's fair. I think it's aggressive, but it should be aggressive. You've got cap rates that are still very low. And even with the most recent rises in uh, um, 
of interest rates, we don't see uh, cap rates really changing much. I think there's uh, there's just so much demand for real estate to give uh, owners of real estate, uh, you know, at least got a chance of getting the yield as opposed to putting money in, you know, treasuries where, you know, the expectations are such that, you know, you're going to get a, a minimum yield over time. So uh, lots of capital. Uh, last year was, if not our best year, one of our very best years uh, on record. 2020 was not a very good year. Uh, there was not a lot happening because everyone was trying to figure out what was going on, especially that second half of the year. Uh, Jonathan can talk about on the uh, on the equity raise side, uh, which also involves construction financing, um, kind of how that market has uh, played out in the last uh, 12 months. Sure. Well, I think um, before we go to the equity side, Tom, just you know, to reiterate the point, um, banks throughout the United States are over funded in terms of absolute deposits. Um, when you look at sort of what the projected run rate would be from a pre-COVID uh, dynamic to now. And so with deep reserves and deep deposits, you know, their appetite for lending um, seems to be relatively um, unchecked in so long as it's within the right property sector. And I think we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later, but there's certainly tremendous liquidity and capacity within the system on the financing side. And likewise, uh, on the equity side of the business, um, we see a tremendous amount of alternative asset managers um, looking to real estate and continuing to expand their real estate allocations. Uh, we've seen the um, continued emergence of really the aggregation of retail capital, whether that's through um, non-trader rates, through um, DST structures, through you know, middle market syndication. Um, and so the, the flows, you know, to Tom's point, the flows of capital to uh, commercial real estate and really trying to access as much private real estate as possible um, has accelerated probably through maybe the, the, the first six months after COVID to now and, and continues to accelerate. Yeah. One of the biggest questions I always get is, um, <clears throat> for a connection from capital, people that have capital, to distressed purchase opportunities. And, you know, there just aren't really a lot of that out there, are those out there, because there is so much capital and things are really so uh, trading at such, you know, high yeah, levels I, and stuff now. I, I think that varies by, by property but, sector. So, yeah. you know, true distress, and certainly in your business, and um you know, I, I can understand why there's there's a request of that um, when when you facilitated you know so much work with CMBS borrowers who, who've needed the opportunity to go back and and work with their um, the remic and and the lending uh, construct that that's left with the bondholders. But I, I agree with you, with the exception of maybe certain property sectors where hopefully you can find a deal that um, you know the deal isn't a bad deal. It's just maybe has uh, an operator that, you know, is not the right operator for that. You see more of that in the retail space where the tenant relationships are um, so incredibly unique and, and really drive the business more so than say commodity office or, you know, the residential business where, where the relationship with the tenant is, is a relationship with a resident in your building and not really a, a multi-unit um, connectivity like it is in the retail business. Hey, and uh, one other thing as it relates to kind of post-COVID capital. Um, obviously, you really do need, especially post-COVID, take a look at the different buckets of products. So 
you know, there's all this money that, um, as, as much money as there's ever been trying to go into real estate, but it all wants to go into, I shouldn't say all, the alliance share of it wants to go into multifamily and industrial. So what do you see there? Obviously, you know, tremendous uh, um, you know, value creation in the, both those product types. There's, um, there's lots of capital. All, and obviously, in multifamily, you got Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae and HUD also playing in that arena. Um, I will say we are still active and fairly active, especially in retail. We do a, we're doing a lot of retail, and it's not the gro- it's not just the grocery anchored retail centers. Um, I think what we've seen in COVID is those retail centers that have proven to to be successful throughout COVID. Um, I think it gives the lenders a uh, a real sense of comfort to know that um, you made it through COVID. Um, they're doing well. The, the retailers need to be there in, in certain assets. There's a lot of assets that probably are not going to be uh, successful. It's having a little harder time raising capital for those assets. I think the mall business, especially not the, the trophy malls, are going to have some, some real trouble. But we've, we've seen very aggressive, um, and it's all capital sources, the life companies and the banks, the debt funds, CBS, everybody playing in the retail arena right now. Um, much, much better today than it was 12 months ago, for sure. Uh, <clears throat> on the office side is uh, kind of a tale of two cities. And I think most capital, uh, most owners uh, would, would agree with that. I think most capital would agree with that and that you've got probably a substantial amount of office that may be obsolete uh, moving forward. Um, however, you know, you have a tremendous amount of nice assets, um, especially the brand new product out there right now that maybe is not, you know, the, the largest assets, but they are getting, you know, tremendous rents. They're not giving free rent. We're getting, you know, I know I just heard yesterday a deal in Dallas um, that a tenant just signed a $50 net rent uh, transaction in, in a brand new office building. So I think that's got to be the high watermark uh, for office uh, ever, and maybe in, in Dallas. So. Um, you're getting great rents, but they want to be in specific buildings, and those assets, you know, can be readily financed. Uh, we're looking at some um, some new construction, even in Houston market. Um, I think most people want to see some pre-leasing associated with it, um, but it really depends on kind of where it is. And I think from that standpoint, you know, you know, having you know, the right advisors or brokers. Uh, you know, trying to, to sell certain areas is, is more important as opposed to everything. You know, it doesn't matter where the office is. It, do, it matters a lot because you could be a couple blocks away in a, in a very nice building, what used to be a really nice building, but right now no one really wants to be there because it's, a, it's, it's you know, the parking's not great, the amenities aren't great, and it's hard to attract people to go into certain assets. So a little more boutique-ish uh, tends to work right now. But I... I... I think, Tom, as you sort of walk through all of the different property types we're working on and, and sort of the volume we're seeing, you know, just to give a little bit of context, um, you know, for a calendar year 2021, Walker and Dunlop um, did 2,000, uh, over 2,000 loans, uh, accounting for $48.9 billion in total transaction volume, and that was spread across 350 different capital sources. So. Um, yeah, there's been tremendous breadth 
and depth within the the space and and you know across um, property sectors. That's amazing. Was that twenty one? You 21. said twenty twenty one. Twenty one. Do you expect twenty two to be same better? We're hopeful. We'd like it, we'd like it to I improve mean, certainly. Yeah, this isn't for your investors. <laughs> right. I'm just asking. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, is there a property type? I was kind of surprised to hear you say what you did about office space because I do have a lot of uh, people. Maybe it's the different type of owner we're working with, right? But I have people who have office space. The the office, you know, their loan is coming up for maturity in a year or something. Then they've got some larger tenants, and they do not know whether the tenants are going to renew, ask for less space. You know, they're trying to work that all out. And I, I've in my mind toyed with how the heck would a new lender underwrite that, you know? Um, and will they be able to refinance out of that CMBS? Yeah, well, and, and again, if I, if I was optimistic or overly optimistic on office, I apologize because that was not my intent. My, my intent was there's a tale of two cities and you have... Uh, certain assets that are new, uh, attractive, amenitized, and leased that are, um, that are getting financed, and even some properties that um, are not leased, but they got substantial equity, um, even um, on spec developments or, or low, uh, low occupancy pre-leasing assets. What you're talking about is you know, older assets that uh, have rollover and the question is, are those tenants going to stay? A lot of them are not going to stay. As I said before, there may be some obsolete assets. So you might have some 1980s construction. Um, the tenants don't really want to be there. Uh, they're paying rent, so everything's current right now. In your world in particular, um, everything, is, everything looks fine because the, you know, the tenants are paying rent, the landlords are paying the rent, until those leases come due. And then... That's the telltale. You know what's going to happen. Is those tenants do they need that amount of space? Are they going to move to a different building? Probably need less space. Probably move to something a little more amenitized, a little newer, something that will attract people back to the office. Um, and post COVID, you know, how are people going to office? Are they going to be there five days a week? You know, ten hours a day, or is it going to be something different than that? Well, I think it's probably going to be something maybe a little bit different than that, and then trying to to structure a lease and, and look at buildings that actually are attractive to users of that space. So um, you're right. It's it's the, the and the, by the way, the lenders on office are looking at it and saying if it's not leased or we have some rollover, we're going to have some issues. <clears throat> we're not going to give the leverage level. It's going to be expensive, and in many cases, you're seeing you know, property being given back even by the strongest owners in the marketplace. So. Uh, it is it is concerning. You got to make sure you're in the right assets. And you know, I think so long as you have, you know, something that's a newer asset, an amenitized asset, something maybe not too massive, I think you're probably going to be fine. But there is a lot of space out there that, you know, it's going to be very hard to attract capital. Yeah, no doubt. Right. Are you finding, we didn't talk about hospitality, do you guys go, uh, work in that space at all? And if so, what are you finding on hospitality lending side? We're, we're, not, we're not seeing a lot of uh, hospitality financing right now. We're not working on a lot of it right now. Um, mm -hmm. uh, kind of for, uh, you know, it's coming back, but you know, there's certain, again, I yeah. think you're gonna, 
like office and like retail, it's kind of a tale of two cities. It's going to be there's going to be some winners, there's going to be losers. Yeah. Clearly, it's it's coming back much stronger than I think people thought it would, um, and uh, uh, there is clearly capital, but it's going to be a little bit more expensive uh, capital. They're not quite yeah. as much capital also for that space. I, I think when you talk about hospitality or you talk about office. Yeah, the narrative is very similar, right? I mean, the, the lenders are very attuned to where the demand drivers are. And so you, know, you go look at, at where rents are coming back in office. You go look at where ADR is increasing and being driven in the hospitality sector. Uh, and lenders are, are aware of that. You know, um, the consumer has a lot of dollars. Um, if you've got a resort property that's in demand, um, with people that have capacity within their wallets to go, you know, spend time away from their houses and go go travel and vacation. Those, those resorts are seeing tremendous amount of demand. You're seeing people who have come out of a pandemic-induced lockdown that say, I want to go experience the world again. And so they're out. They're out and about. Um, you know, and to Tom's point on the office side, you know, what is your firm doing to ensure that your people want to come back to work? How are you competing and retaining your top talent? Your office space can't be a commodity for that. Your office space has to be something that helps you attract people. And so to his point, it has to be amenitized. It has to have demand. You know, on, on the office side, there's going to be static vacancy in markets, but it's not going to be sort of evenly spread. You know, if your static vacancy is, is 80 to 85%, it's not going to be uniform across buildings. You're going to have buildings that are 100% occupied that are the newest and best space with tremendous amenities and, and transportation connectivity and markets that um, allow for that. And then you're going to have buildings that are off the bullseye and they're going to suffer for it. Uh, and the lenders are, are absolutely aware of, of where the wallet share is going. Yeah. So it's going to be probably in all cases, people are going to need a little more capital uh, to solve the problem or to you know, recapitalize and build amenities into their office building. So I guess that's where your platform comes in uh, handy. Uh, you guys, you know, on your sure. side, Jonathan, I assume, right? Um, well, any parting words, anything that you'd like to tell uh, anybody listening about if, if they have a loan to refinance in the next year, what kinds of things, and not, let me back up and interrupt myself. We often talk about commercial real estate like it's one standard thing and i get it it's not and you can't even say hospitality is a standard and nor is retail and I, so i get there's all kinds of variations but just in general what would be your message to anybody listening that has a loan that's maturing in the next year besides come to you for refinancing but <laughs> well that would be very would your smart be? Uh -huh. so that, that's the first thing we'd say right tom right Good. and i do tell anybody that you know, I, 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 will, I will say there's and i'll let jonathan speak last but uh, we're seeing it, every deal is so different. We're in the we're in the market right now, and we're going to be financing. We're going to be um, taking out a construction loan before maturity of the construction loan, and we're going to be able to be we're going to be getting financing that is in excess of 100 percent of cost. And by the way, there's no tenants in the in the uh, all that this is this is a residential building with this is not just before maturity of the construction loan. This is before the certificate of occupancy has been issued. This is pre-TCO. Yeah. And we're going to get a attractive rate. We're going to get you know, more than 100% of cost. And uh, there's no tenants 
in the uh, multifamily property. And we got lots of lenders willing to do that because they like the product, they like the location, and they're willing to take that risk. Um, you're going to have others that, um, and, and multifamily is, you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see, you know, high leverage, uh, very attractive rates um, uh, on that product type. Uh, industrial, uh, you know, 80% leverage on, on spec industrial. It's available out there for construction. It's, uh, and there's obviously lots of capital, you know, everyone wants to do industrial because they don't, you know, they're not overexposed there. Uh, the other product types are going to have, you know, it's going to be more challenging. It's going to be a deal by deal basis. And um, to the extent that you want, you know, you need equity uh, or you need stru really highly structured debt in order to pay off existing loans, that's fine. There, most, most investors are going to see some sharing in the pain. And so if it's, uh, if it's an asset that you, you know, you think it's under underwater, um, it's going to be hard to find. There's not going to be really dumb capital coming in. The capital's smart, and they just want to know that, you know, are you as an owner committed to the asset? Uh, and if so, great. We can, we can structure something. If not, it's going to be a, a lot more challenging. Right, yeah. How long before a loan matures should someone start talking to you about their options? Depend, I, I, think it, I think it depends on what what the asset is and what the maturity is, well, right? True. I mean, if you're talking about something that is highly stable and, and performing in today's environment, you know, you, you should start talking, you know, depending upon what your prepay looks like, you know, prior to that, that par open, um, substantially prior. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Tom, if you'd say six months I, or- I was gonna, I was gonna say, we're, we're seeing deals that may be three to four years beforehand. Yeah. And, the re and, the, and the reason Good. is okay. it depends yeah. on, mm -hmm. <clears throat> Well, first of all, the the, the w with regards to short-term bonds, you know, you used to have a defeasance or yield maintenance, and it would kind of tie to a a, a short-term, you know, two-year, three-year treasury rate. Well, that two or three-year treasury rate is about the same as a ten-year treasury rate now, and so that prepayment penalty is going to be much less um, than it would have yeah. been just ninety days ago, substantially less than it was ninety days mm -hmm. ago. And also, if it's an asset that you think you've created some value over the last several years, you you go ahead and have that prepayment penalty, which, again, is much less than it was 90 days ago, substantially less than it was 90 days ago. And then you roll into a new financing that might be over the next 10 years to lock something up today, you know, in a market where everyone thinks that rates are going up, especially if, you know, especially if there's a LIBOR uh, rate right now or a, or a SOFA rate right now that you want to kind of know you want to hold the asset, go ahead and pay it off, even though you might have a fair amount of time left on the loan. It just depends on your hold strategy. But it, does, it doesn't cost you a dime to try to at least understand what your options are. And I think one thing we do really well is to provide owners of real estate with um, the knowledge so they can make informed decisions on what they should do and as opposed to trying to make that decision for them. And you don't necessarily, and you Absolutely. don't necessarily have to expose yourself to the prepay. I mean, you, <clears> can, <throat> you can go out and get a forward commitment yeah. from a yeah. live company. And I, I think, you know, the, so that's, that's, that's the advice for the performing assets, right? I and mean, I think the, the, the yeah, other absolutely. advice is um, start early. If you've got an asset that, you know, uh, you know, falls into one of those categories <clears> that, that I would tell them to call, there's this woman named Ann Hambly and she's really good. 
and she can help you, especially if these assets that Jonathan said that are going to be more challenging. You, you just you can't get a loan. You're, you're probably not going to be able to get someone to take you out. So everybody's going to have to work together, and you got to assume that the capital is not stupid, yeah. but you can structure something that works for everybody. Have a, have a business plan Absolutely. that resonates with what the current market is. Yes. You know, if you have a sub- and well ahead uh, of when you need to exit. Right. If you, if you have a suburban office building that yeah. is, is not in demand, uh, you need to have a use for that building that may or may not be office uh, as an example. Absolutely. Well, thank you both for your incredible insight time today. I really appreciate it. I value your thoughts and opinions and you're taking the time to do this. Great. Thank you. Thank you.